everyone, and thanks for coming back. Today's episode is on Disney's The Hunchback of Notre Dame. As always, you don't have to watch the movie in order to listen to the episode, but we do always recommend it as we will never stray away from spoilers. Uh, Today, we're going to be keeping with the same theme that we had last week and condensing our discussion into one episode, so let's get rolling. I'm your host, Audrey. And I'm your co-host, Cherie. So sit back, relax, and please don't silence your phone while we check your cinematic pulse. this movie come out was it like 97 yeah it was like 96 or 97 let me go check i have it pulled up on imdb right now Twas 1996 this movie is actually rated g which i did not expect (laughs) i have so much to say about the rating of this film because holy smokes i felt uncomfortable as an almost 31 year old I know. Almost 31. I'm like, how, like, you got to think about, like, how ratings have changed over time. If this movie was released now, you cannot tell me that it wouldn't get PG-13. That's what I was thinking. Well, okay. Like, live action? Or are we talking uh Either or, like, honestly. There, there's just a lot of uh, innuendos in this film. Oh, okay. There's Let me just get right to this. There's a lot of sexual undertones and overtones <laughs> at times. Okay, let me just get right to this because because so again, this is it's for those of you who don't know, this movie is did actually. Did we say based what movie this is book. yet? Yeah, I did. I said it in the intro. Did you? We're just gonna make everyone guess the whole time. Yeah, I said today we're gonna be doing Disney's The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh my bad. I totally was listening, but I guess not. Do you, do you just dissociate when I do the intro? No, because I always have to listen to the, <laughs> the I have to listen to the part where I say I'm your co-host Sheree. <laughs> I c- okay. My bad. Continue. Uh, Sorry. When was this? When was this book written? Hold on. 1831. Okay. So, for those of you who don't know, The Hunchback of Notre Dame is actually an adaptation of the 1831 novel by Victor Hugo. Um, That's a name I know. And it's, it is, right? Um, it is dense. Um, all books back then were dense. Frankenstein, come on. Yeah. Actually, Frankenstein's itty-bitty. Frankenstein is itty-bitty compared to most of the other novels from let that me, era. Let me rephrase. It's very dense writing. There's a lot of words for nothing. Yeah. No, and I mean, like, this. the book itself is dense, dense. It is on par with Fan of the Opera, um, The Count of Monte Cristo. Hold on. The... In terms of Harry Potter books, like, which book? I mean, like, I would Bigger than Order say, of the Phoenix? No, it's like... Well, so, okay, they're published smaller, but it is around Order of the Phoenix-sized. Dang. Yeah, it is a big Mongo book. Mongo. Um, <laughs> Wumbo. I, I, to, to the... <laughs> F-U... I, Wumbo. You, Wumbo. <laughs> Where did that she, come me, from? Me. You do Wumbo. What? <laughs> Bob. No, 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 I know where I came from. Oh. I was like, why did that come into your head? Because you said Mungo or something like that, so I thought Mon- Wumbo. Mongo. 
Oh, that's fantastic. No, don't worry. I, I was well aware that that was a Okay. Star I was like, reference. how are you quoting this and not knowing where it's speaking coming from? Speaking of, hold on. I feel like we're playing Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon with this movie. Patrick Star. Patrick Star. <laughs> hold on. I'm making my audio clip so much. I got to calm down. Hey, uh, mine doesn't clip. I cannot tell you how many times I'm like, is that Patrick Star? It is. I could not hear. Okay, here's the thing. I missed it the first time because I was focused on the other guard who is voiced by Corey Burton. Corey Burton voices Count Dooku in Star Wars The Clone Wars. See, now that would be relevant to you. And I'm like, who? I wasn't even listening. And Wes is sitting right next to me and he hears it. He goes, um, is that Patrick Starr? And I was like, no, it can't possibly be. And then I looked it up and it was... So the voice, there's two guards, there's two, there's like a British guard and a rude guard, I believe is how they're credited. And the other, one of the other guards is in fact voiced by, I forget the actor's name, uh, Bill Fagerback, um, who voices Patrick Starr in Spongebob. It's, I cannot believe I got to the Patrick Starr part of this discussion much sooner than it happened. It was by accident. Full so yeah, guys, if you if you guys are watching this film, you're like, is that Patrick? It is. I just, and I can't unhear it now. Mm-mm. I can't unhear it because he's walking through like the streets of Paris going, make way for the captain of the guard. I love it. It was wonderful. Oh, I don't even know where we go from that. Um, we were talking about the oh. book. In, in size, uh, the, the I mean, story we're story. fully on. We're full. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say we're fully on casting. Uh, hold we, on though, hold on. Before we go further, hold we on, always do hold first on, impressions. We do always do first impressions. I mean, I don't really. I can't really say that I can remember my first impression of this movie because again, it was 1996. I was three when this came out. Um, aging myself for all of you who don't know exactly how old I am. She's almost 30, um, guys. <laughs> I'm almost 30, guys. I'm going to get those balloons. I'm going on a cruise for my 30th birthday. I am just fully embracing it. As you should. Um, So I don't know that I really remember my first impression, but I do remember that this movie did scare me as a child. It's it's very thematic and dramatic, um, especially the, like eyeballs the, the Hellfire everywhere. song. What do you mean eyeballs? The, uh, do you not pay attention to the eyes in this film on all the statues and gargoyles? Have you seen Claude Frello's um, eyeballs? Mm-mm. No, I guess I'm you. really not freaked out by eyes. It's so not the eyes themselves. It's, really... it's how they look. They're just, they're pouring into your soul, which obviously is the point, but still. I guess that is the point. Mm-hmm. No, it, is, it, it freaked me out. Like the Hellfire song was oh, very, yeah. um, was, was drawn very thematically and intensely. Um, and then obviously you have, you know, the, the fire at the end around Notre Dame. Um, it was just, it was scary for me. I, when I was young enough to not 100% understand what was going on in this movie, um, it, it scared me a little bit. It probably took me a few extra years to be able to rewatch this movie and not get freaked out by it. Um, that being said, now that I'm older, holy cow, I love this movie. Oh yeah. When you suggested it, I was like, bruh, this is like up there with like my, my other favorite Disney movie, Hercules. It is like tied for first place with Same. Same, absolutely I same. I love this movie. I'm I rewatched this like as an adult. I was like, I want to watch this movie again. And I was like, holy cow, this soundtrack. 
this like wh- Alan Menken, no holds barred. No, for this soundtrack, this, best his best in my opinion. His best, his opinion, absolute best. And I don't want to jump into music too fast because I still want you to tell me about your first impressions. But like as an adult, I watched this movie and I said, "How have we not had a live action rendition of this movie yet? How? Mm-hmm. How? Mm-hmm. It's the only one I'm begging for. Please suspend. Do Disney. we? Do we even have this on Broadway? Dear, we don't even Disney. have Hunchback on Broadway, do we? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think we do. I'm going to Google that real fast. It. I, I guess they announced that they were going to do a Hunchback of Notre Dame Broadway production back in, like, 2013. And then I don't think it really ever happened. Sad face. Man, that stinks. Um, I There is a musical rendition of it. Are you still on your computer? I am. I'm on my phone. Okay. Yeah, I didn't make that mistake again. Um, I just know if we were talking over the clickings or if we're just talking. No, we are just talking, thankfully, and not accidentally playing any video. For all of you listening, that happened <laughs> once. Uh, I actually believe it was in, like, episode two, part two of Signs. I went to go watch something to confirm something that happened in the movie, and, like, like a, I just wasn't paying attention. And I, I looked it up on my iPad, which I also use for recording, and it just stopped my recording. And so we recorded like 20 minutes of audio with nothing on my end. And I will never make that mistake oh, again. Yeah. We did re-record, didn't we? I forgot about that. And we that. re-recorded it like absolute champs. I completely forgot that. Mm-hmm. I dare you all to go back and listen to Science Part 2 and see if you can find the jump in listen. editing. And I guarantee you, you won't be able to because Cherie is a genius, who a, an editing genius. Thank you. Thank you. I am bowing, but people can't see it. You're like, Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, no, I guess it is a musical, but it never made it to Broadway. So there is a musical version of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I mean, the whole thing but, is yeah, a musical, again, let's not, be honest. Not a, a Broadway film. production. And I'm just, I'm like, how? Why? Why has this not been done more? Because it's amazing. Uh, okay, I tell me what your first impressions were. I didn't care for this movie as a kid. Hold on, let me say that again. I was right? scratching myself. Um... <laughs> <laughs> scratching my shoulder i'm just like imagining you not the guy crotch scratch not that one (laughs) no i'm just imagine like a cartoon like when someone scratches their armpits in a cartoon and like little debris falls out ew that's what i was imagining i'm cleaner than that i know you are i just it was just so comical i did not expect you to say hold on i was scratching myself (laughs) things you don't expect to hear no but it makes it better oh my Okay. So, <laughs> so first impressions. <laughs> My first impression of this movie as a, a four-ish year old was I didn't care. Right. I um I do remember though as a four year old I hated the gargoyles and as a almost thirty one year old no! I still don't like the gargoyles. They're dumb. I wrote down I wrote down that I loved the gargoyles. I knew that you hated them, but I was laughing at Merchandising. them like first line. First line in the whole movie, I which is like crazy because the the concept of merchandising for a movie was not really had had only been a very recent thing. Um, like with George Lucas, George Lucas was the first person to really retain the merchandising rights to a movie after Star Wars. Um, so that was actually still a fairly new concept for for um a well I don't know if I necessarily the director or whatever retained the merchandising rights for this, but. I, I was I was already laughing. Like the first thing that shorter gargoyle says, he goes, <laughs> "Go scare a nun." It got me. It's dumb. 
I was so, I wasn't expecting it and it got me. The, my, I will say though, my favorite line in this film did come from a gargoyle. So I'll give them a slight credit. Um, what was your favorite line? Oh, hold on. It was the Wizard of Oz reference. Um, fly, my pretties. <laughs> That's right. That the sweet, the gave sweet me, older gargoyle. <laughs> that gave me quite a chuckle. That was easily the best line in the film. Well, it was the funniest line in the film, at least. Well, funniest line in the film. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. Uh, mine my... oh, mine sorry, was the, hey, mine was just him going, hey, look, a mime, and then proceeds to hawk a loogie at him. Ew. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that. <laughs> the gargoyles got me every time. I just didn't care for him. They're just so, I mean, so, yeah, as a kid, you were just like, meh. <laughs> And as a kid, I was like, this is a meh movie. That being said, I will, I never, ever, there were two things that stuck out to me as a kid that made me feel uncomfortable about the film. Um, the music was always gorgeous. Even then, even my little four-year-old self who knew nothing about music at the time was like, this is pretty. I, I remember mm-hmm. humming that the music to that movie often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, at least the bells, that, that the thematic bells that recur throughout the movie. Yes. Yeah. What stuck with me as a kid, though, after seeing that film, is has always been... And it, I hate watching the scene because it makes me feel bad. Is um, mm. when they have him tied down to that thing in the the festival oh. of fools. I didn't like seeing that as a kid. Without it hurt like my heart, I knew it was bullying. Like you know, as a four year old, you're like, that's not right. Aww. That's not okay. I I avoided that movie for so long just because of that scene. Like Aww. I didn't watch this movie again. I think until I was in middle school, and still I <sighs> didn't watch a lot of it. Because, again, there's a lot of things about that film that I was like, it made me feel uncomfortable. And now as an adult, I understand why I think it made me feel comfortable because it's an adult-themed film. Mm. So seeing it... Yeah, it is. When I watched it a few years ago with my niece, for the, it was like literally the first time I actually literally sat down and just watched the film as it was. Mm-hmm. I remember watching it and I was like, holy smokes, this is one of the greatest films Disney's ever made. Mm-hmm. It is one of the greatest, yep. and it's a, it's G, it's rated G. This movie is not rated This movie is G. not rated G. Like, how? I, I get that, like, objectively, like, there's no elements, like, physically that would, that would warrant an above G rating. Like, maybe PG just for, like, thematic elements. Bruh, exactly. But, how could, how could this movie have not, for some of the but, imagery like, wait, they had- they, there's no, right. I don't know how they got away with the G rating. But again, you have to think about how ratings have changed throughout the years. We obviously <laughs> let a lot of things slide, if you will, from then to now. Like, there are things in this film that absolutely would make this a PG, PG-13 film now. There's right. no way. There's no way. I mean, like, obviously there's no swearing or anything. I think literally it said it's rated G and then gives you a warning that, like, there's tobacco usage in it. Like, that, it. Was, that was the warning. Tobacco usage. That was the warning. Tobacco usage. Not and I'm like, themes of sexual, in- like, intent. Crazy. Mm-hmm. No themes of yeah. murder. Yeah, right. Um, la- yeah, okay. So we, do we want to talk about the book? Do we want to talk about the book? Talk about the book. Okay, let's talk about the book. Um, the book is uncomfy because let's just get this out of the way real fast. Esmeralda is 16 in the book. She can't 16. be a lot older in this movie. Uh, see, in the movie, I think I always pictured her as being in, like, her mid-20s. I agree. She gives off mid-20 vibes. She gives off mid-20s vibes, Mid-20, right? late-20s. Especially, well, I mean, the voice also being played by Demi Moore. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I don't know how old Demi Moore was when she voiced her, but she has she has that kind of voice. Oh yeah. Um, little husky. Yeah. So just getting that out of the way real fast, but it is the whole plot of the book is directly centered around the amount of people that are like unhealthily in love with Esmeralda. It's creepy, dude. It's oh, it's mega creepy. I mean, like even even if we age her up, like it's still it is still like a weirdly darkly obsessive love like quadrangle because there's four people who are in love with her in the yeah. book. There's um there's Archdeacon Claude Frollo, Quasimodo, Captain Phoebus, and then there's another guy who I don't think makes sense. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Claude Frollo is an archdeacon in the book? Yeah. In the oh, that's right. In the yeah, in the book he's he is an arch an archdeacon. In the in the movie he's a judge. Got it. Okay. Interesting change. Yeah. (laughs) I I I wonder why they changed that. I wonder why they changed that. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's. I think. I feel like he's. He's still. He still gives off vibes of being like a church official. Oh, for sure. Movie. I mean, he Um, literally he has that whole scene where he's praying to Maria. Mm-hmm. Santa yes. Maria. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So yes, in the book he he is an archdeacon, um, and then there's a fourth guy who's a poet, Pierre Gringoire, um, and I really don't remember anything about him. But um, <laughs> it, there's they just kept elements like they kept, and this is what this is what Disney does is they they pick themes and like specific plot points from their their original source material and then they kind of just hit shuffle on everything and then tell the story with the same characters and those same plot points just in completely different order in the book frollo is still like obsessively in love with esmeralda um Mm -hmm. but in the book he orders quasimodo to kidnap her Mm. um i know and which i mean he's still like his his hunchback ward in the book um, but Quasimodo gets captured by Phoebus, and that's when when Phoebus saves her, Esmeralda falls in love with Phoebus. Like like that happens in the movie. Okay. Um, but I guess this other guy, Pierre Gringoire, like attempted to like help and got knocked out by Quasimodo. Like he's just like this random like fourth wheel that appears throughout the books, and he wanders into the Court of Miracles and is going to be killed for wandering into the Court of Miracles, but Esmeralda saves him and they get uh they get married. She I her she agrees poet? to her and this random poet guy agree Neat. she saves him by agreeing to marry him for four years. I don't know how that I don't remember how that saves him. I don't know why this guy is even involved. But <laughs> they get married. Um because Quasimodo tried to kidnap Esmeralda, he gets sentenced to be flogged and turned on the pillory for two hours. Uh, um, okay, there it is. So, like, what happened in Feast of Fools. Yes. Um, and then he calls for water during his, like, whole public humiliation thing, and Esmeralda comes and gives him water during it. Again, similar to the Feast of Fools. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he falls in love with her at that point, where before that he had just been Frollo's henchman. Okay. Um... Post this, again, Phoebus and Esmeralda are in love, and Frollo uh, attempts to murder Phoebus. Um, I don't he, I don't believe he dies. It's just attempted murder, um, similar to the movie. Um, and then 
uh, because he doesn't succeed in killing him, he blames the attempted murder on Esmeralda, who is then uh, arrested and charged with attempted murder and witchcraft. Frollo um, attempts to murder Phoebus, but is not successful. And um, so then he uh, charges uh, Esmeralda with Phoebus' attempted murder and also with witchcraft. Yes. Because because witchcraft. Because <laughs> witchcraft. Um, and, she, because she, and so she's sentenced to death. Um, then while she's in prison, Frollo comes to visit her and is really gross and says that he'll help her escape if she, like, reciprocates his love. And, of course, she recognized him as Phoebus' true attacker. Um, and she is like, no, thank you. And so <laughs> very polite of her. No, she, thanks. Right. Um, yeah, it's just full on. No, thanks. And then, you know, swift kick in the chin. Um, and then so like the next day as she's being led to the gallows to her death, Quasimodo swings down from Notre Dame and saves her. Like the movie. Um, like the movie. Right. Um, but he keeps her protected under the law of sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Um, sanctuary. Sanctuary. Yes. Um, so, reviewing real fast, um, and this is all, just as a, a quick credit, this is all just a, a, a quick refresh that I read according to Wikipedia. So, you know, super reliable, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, so, anyway, there's some stuff that happens in the interim, but um, while Esmeralda gets her right to sanctuary revoked, um, and... There's a whole, like, run on Notre Dame that happens by the Romani Gypsies. Um, and unfortunately, Quasimodo, thinking that they're coming to, like, attack her, he drives them off. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the king winds up getting involved and calls for Esmeralda's immediate execution. And in the poor book, girl just trying to exist. I know! I know! And then so... Again, and this is the next thing that happens, like, Esmeralda, like, randomly discovers her mother, who is, like, a nun, um, who thought that uh, she's now a nun. She had given birth to a daughter and hates the Romani gypsies because she thought that they killed her infant daughter, but really she'd actually been taken by them and adopted by them and raised as a Romani. Um, And so, like, randomly Esmeralda meets her mother, who is now a nun. What? Um. I know. It's really random. It's hey so guys, random. Hey, guys, just another super... plot point for fun. Literally just a random plot point, and then, like, Messy the writers. guards come to take Esmeralda away after her right to sanctuary has been revoked, and Sister Gaduli, which is her mother, um, is, like, pleading for her life, and they say no, and then, spoiler alert, uh, in the book, Esmeralda actually does die. Boo. Yeah, she gets hanged. That's so stupid. Um, I know. And I'm like, like, there's just not really a happy ending of this. Uh, the only happy ending is that um, in his despair, Quasimodo, upon seeing Esmeralda getting hanged, um, pushes uh, Claude Frollo off of a balcony to his death. <laughs> Yay. Yay. <laughs> so the bad guy, the bad guy gets it in the end. <laughs> um, and that's pretty much the end of the book. Boo. That's it. I do not recommend yeah. on Yelp. Do not write. Yeah, like two out of ten, maybe. Because Phoebus is a nice guy the whole time. That's good, at least. For the for the most part. Um. So, yeah. 
So yeah, that's different. the book. That's our source material, guys. They definitely took themes like, from the book, but they didn't take the whole right, story. Like, you see what I mean? Like they take things like out of order mm-hmm. and like grab random themes from themes from it and like like the attempted murder of Phoebus and like them Esmeralda and Phoebus falling in love and all that stuff. Um so I feel like I like Disney's version better. Oh, for sure. Cuz the book is thematic but really kind of a letdown. A little bit. A little bit. A L- little bit of a letdown. Because our, our heroine dies, and that yes, sucks. That is dumb. Yeah. So, back to the movie. Now that everyone knows what a downer the book is. Don't read it. Um, <laughs> don't don't read it. Hard hard pass on the book. Uh, yeah, really. And I know that Disney is kind of known for doing this and, like, taking random things from their source material and just, like, completely doing their own retelling mm-hmm. of the story. But I feel like this is one of the ones that that really works well with. Uh, I like the story that they told much better. Speaking really, of I which, I love what I really loved about this film. I'm going to go with the very opening. First of all, there's a lot of symbolism in this film. There's a lot I mean, so much. of like ethereal and godly symbolism well you have a lot of religious symbolism to work with here right and it's i love i okay i love religious symbolism in film because it's so easy to pick out and it's so easy to follow because you everyone even if you haven't read the bible you know the story of the bible or at least the main points of the bible but what i really i feel like that is becoming less and less common but continue um what i was going to say is what i loved about this film is like the story you just told us is very confusing but what I love that yes. this film did is it literally from the beginning, it's like, okay, guys, this is the plot of the film. You need to figure out who's the monster and who's the man. It tells you exactly what you're looking for in this entire film. Oh, yeah, that really is. And yes. I love that. Loved that. I was like, okay, cool. You have you've spelled out what the, the, the viewers need to know. You have shown them. I was like, okay, you're mm-hmm. figuring out. Hmm. It doesn't take long for you to figure out who's a monster and who's the man. But actually, what I liked best about this film was how often they symbolize Quasimodo as if he was God, in a sense. Oh, okay, please elaborate, because I don't feel like I picked up on this. So first, the first image you see is what, Audrey? Tell me what the first image of this film was. Oh my gosh, can we talk about the opening shot? Can we talk about the opening shot? Yeah, that's exactly what I want to start with, because the opening shot (gasps) is the top of Notre Dame in the clouds. This opening shot is absolutely beautiful and it's so immediate because mm-hmm. the the opening song just opens with like hard heavy church bells oh yeah and and like full full trumpets and everything like like there was no gentle opening to this movie it's just like boom slam cut into the first shot of this movie and it really is it's notre dame having reached the tips of notre dame having reached up into the clouds and it really is like into, notre dame in the heaven. clouds of heaven Yes, yeah. and then who resides the at the top of the bell angle. tower, Audrey? Uh, I mean that's true. Quasimodo. That's true. Well, I mean, and then it really paints then Quasimodo as our good guy mm-hmm. for sure, our good guy. Like we know this, even though he's he's deformed and he doesn't come from he doesn't come from much. Like he is our good guy, and and then you know we and then we descend later into the depths the depths of the streets. Well, and that's where the camera angle goes too. Is after mm-hmm. we see. Notre Dame in the clouds, and then the camera descends down into the streets, and then, and then we get Frollo later. Yeah, yep. Way, way down below where Quasimodo is, so he sucks. Way down below <laughs> by in... symbolism, right, right. And so, continuing off him, kind of being godlike. You know, God created heaven and earth, right? Quasimodo mm-hmm. created what? He's in his bell well, he tower. Does. He created a village. He, he created the people he of has. the village. 
Yeah, I mean, with his with his woodworking and stuff, he has mm-hmm. little miniatures of them. Like he like he really is just like the the divine watching over the people every day and their little lives. And here's one more thing that I there's there's a lot. But these are the three things that stuck out to me the most. But the last one that really stuck out to me is Quasimodo is not seen; he is heard. Mm. It's a belief system. You know, oh, he, it's like, like, well, I mean, like you like know the, the wind, word of God, you don't see God, felt, but not seen. Exactly. Right. So there's a lot of uh, symbolism. Faith of him is being the almost... substance of things not seen. Right. Yes. He he is a vision of God, if you will. It is, that is my interpretation, at least. I'm not speaking for everyone else. My interpretation of he is like. I like that interpretation. I don't know that I would God. fully 100% subscribe to it, but I, I can fully. It's, there get are little behind, bits and like, pieces of concept. it. Right, I can fully get behind the concept that that 100% guarantee paints him as our good guy, as our hero of the movie. What is... Um... And I think that that's especially necessary because when you think about the book, there's not really a main character. It's just this big conglomerate of, like, everyone's stories being told all at once. Mm-hmm. Like like so many of those older novels. It, and so I really like that it, that it picks one specific character. Because we could have gone with Esmeralda. We could have gone with Esmeralda as She's our, like our the main deuteragonist, and our main heroine. If you will, the deuteragonist. Deuteragonist? Sure, that Interesting. one. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Yeah, deuteragonist is like your your secondary hero, right? Yes. Yeah. So wait, you're saying that, that Quasimodo is our deuteragonist or that Esmeralda no, is? No, Esmeralda is. This is obviously okay. about yeah. Quasimodo. Yep, I, I fully agree. Um, so that, that being, that being said, since we're talking about the opening shot, can we talk about Alan Menken, man? Go for it. I absolutely want to talk about the music of this film because it's beautiful. That's what got me. That's what got me when I rewatched this movie as an adult. I think this was years ago and I was, I would like just watch stuff when I was on the treadmill at the gym and I like randomly picked this movie because I was rewatching like old Disney movies from my childhood mm-hmm. and I pulled this movie back out and I, and I think this was really what rehooked me on it and I got so lost in this movie I watched about half of it before I remembered that I was still walking on a treadmill right that's how much the music just sucks you right in because uh, like I mean like the first 10 15 minutes of the movie is mostly music not only, I mean, we like, get the big long opener, and then and then it goes straight into Frollo and Quasimodo's song, which is two songs in and of itself. Mm-hmm. There's like Frollo's half of the song, and then um, Quasimodo has like one day out there, which is its mm-hmm. own song in and of itself. So, like the first 15, 20 minutes is just like three songs like smash cut together. Mm-hmm. So there's so much music like just right in the beginning, and it really just establishes a whole theme and a whole feel for it and like for those of you who aren't familiar with alan menken's like score credits he is like an iconic disney composer he has done the little mermaid both of them by the way he did the original animated little mermaid and then they brought him back to do the live action that's getting ready to come out or has, has already come out um and then he did tangled pocahontas aladdin it's funny that you mentioned both tangled and the little mermaid because i put both of those in my notes I love those. And actually, interesting point and a little Easter egg that I noticed when I was rewatching this in like those opening scenes when Esmeralda and like her little trumpeteer and her goat, I forget what her goat's name is. Um, Jolly. Oh, that's right. Um, When they're all like dancing and performing in the streets, the trumpeteer is playing a little like riff. The background music can be heard in Tangled. 
That's in cool. the streets of this city that the that her family is from, that like that she's the princess of. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the name of the town right now. If there is one, um, the kingdom. But they, the the kingdom, in parentheses or in, in quotation marks. Um, yeah. But in the background of like those festival scenes, you can hear the exact same trumpet theme. That's cool. It's not really a trumpet. It's like a coronet or something. Um. But, yeah, exact same thing also, but it's just interesting. It wasn't, like, just pulled or anything. That's Alan Menken just using his own music, again, in another movie. Of course, because setting. he can sample himself. It's him. Because he can sample himself. Well, I think I like to think of it more as, like, an Easter egg because it's the same kind of concept. Like, there's a festival happening. There's, like, street performers and stuff in the background. I like to think that he just was like, let's just use this same theme as an Easter egg because we know how Disney loves their Easter eggs. You sure do. Sorry, I was looking at my notes. You sure do. Oh, um, yeah. For those of you who don't know, Disney always has Easter eggs in their movies. Pixar always, does always, too. always. They have little. Yeah, well, Disney and Pixar. Yeah, they all have references to each other. Like in Lilo and Stitch, Nani has a poster of Mulan mm-hmm. on her wall. Uh, in Monsters Inc., one of the toys that Boo hands Sully is Nemo. Yes. The, pl- the Pizza Planet car, I think, makes an appearance in every Pixar film, but don't quote me on that one. Yeah, the Pizza Planet car, I believe so. That and, the, like, the A113 yep. reference that all the guys who went to, like, animation school all had class in room A113. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so literally, I'm looking at my notes, and literally in production, like, under production, I just have that opening shot in all caps. Well, not only that, but um, that shot and the shot where Quasimodo comes down from Notre Dame to swing in and save Esmeralda. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous shot. Can we talk about the camera movement? The camera, in quotation mark, the camera movement of that shot is stunning. It's so stunning. You know what? That was something that I noticed about this was they really like they they went hard on their camera work. Well, as you as movie. you continue, I'm going to look something up real quick because I believe it was Beauty and the Beast where they actually started to have like camera movement in these animated films because there's a crane oh, really? shot in Beauty and the Beast that is beautiful that you never see before. Interesting. That would make sense. Speaking of Beauty and the Beast, um, our our favorite villain, yes. Judge Claude Frollo, makes a appearance in or an appearance in Beauty and the Beast as well. Um, he plays that. Oh, what's his name? Something Darke, the guy that Gaston goes to to help get Belle's father arrested. Oh, I have no idea. Um, I forget. Like, like in Beauty and the Beast. Gaston's trying to get Belle's father out of the way, and so they have him arrested as a madman. Yeah. Um, and he's talking to that shady, skinny, like gray-haired guy talking in about the, the animated local movie? tavern. Yeah, the animated oh, one. Oh shoot, I don't like that movie. Oh well. I, well, well I, I, our I, let me rephrase. Also I makes a vocal appearance. I don't hate that movie. I just don't love it. But I do love that crane shot because it's stunning. Are you talking about the one of the ballroom? Yes. Oh my gosh. That, so <gasps> I know what shot you're talking there's about. There's a crane shot in Beauty and the Beast, 90, 1991 there animated is. series or an, animated movie, guys. There's a gorgeous uh, crane shot. It's like you animated a crane shot into a yes. film. Oh, change the game. I, I, I'm going to have to go like, watch like a, a YouTube breakdown I of like, how say, they did that with animation. I want to say Beauty and the Beast was nominated for an Oscar that year because of that great shot. I mean, or at least like, I'm going to say this is a great shot. It's, it's, it's absolutely stunning. 
And you see I mean, so well, many yeah. of those cool shots in this film, which came out six years, five years later? You said 96, right? Right. Five years yeah, later. Yeah, 96. And see, I noticed that too. I I noticed the camera work because it felt, some of the, like the quote unquote camera work felt like a live action movie. Mm-hmm. Like how you would shoot a live action movie. And, and I was just blown away. I was blown away because I was like, this is, this is animated. Like, this, they have no reason to go this hard. What are they doing? This movie did, it was odd to see some really cool shots like that. And then you see a still frame and they're just panning up into a still frame. So like a good example of that right? is Esmeralda has just gone to the, the church for the first time. And she is, um, you see just this still frame shot of the, the church of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's just painted. That's just they just literally painted that or whatever they did, colored yeah. it, whatever. And it's just yeah, still, they they use like frame. they use like watercolor painting, I believe, right. for most like hand drawn animation. And then you have um, a shot of her animated over that. Uh, I don't know, like five ten seconds later, she's walking on that still framed photo. And it's just interesting to see those simple little things like that, and then you see these magnificent moving camera while mm-hmm. it's just in these other like action shots it's, it's it's incredible it's incredible like again i will never not vomit out my love of animation <laughs> if you will that's not the best word to use but it's like i love animation so much and again and again and again you are only limited by the technology you have in your imagination right well okay and i was i was curious so like as you were talking i looked up um, the director of this movie, Gary Truesdale, I looked up what some of his filmography is. For one thing, he was a storyboard artist on The Little Mermaid. Also, he was a storyboard artist on An American Tale. Oh, man, I haven't seen that movie in a long which time. is also an adorable movie. It is. But as far as directing credits, though, um, this... Where did he go? Um... He did this. Wait, hang on. There we go. Directing credits. Sorry, my um, my filmography messed up. So this, also a director on Beauty and the Beast. There it is, guys. There it is. There it is. There it is. And this also, makes sense why you have all these beautiful camera shots in an animated film. I know. Also, guess what other movie he did? Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Never seen that one. Please don't hate me. Please, <gasps> please, please. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I have enough people. Just don't. I already I know. Need, like, I know. The subtitles for that moment are just going to say, like, unintelligible upset noises. Mm-hmm. 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 I'm um, sorry. I know. It's a shame. It's a it's a film everyone loves that no one has seen. I'm, I'm going to have to do this to you. I guess comeuppance. I'm going to pick it. For one of our episodes. That's fine. Just, I'm calling it right now and I'm going to make you watch it. That's fine. Uh, that movie uh, was completely underappreciated. Like, it oh, had yeah. McDonald's toys. And I was really upset that I never got the crystal necklace as my McDonald's toy. But you can find it on eBay. I'm sure I can. I'm sure I can. But there are also plenty of more high quality crystal necklaces that I can buy now and be an adult and have Kita's crystal. Speaking of, though... Um film in like other films he's done but like referencing of films it's funny to watch these old disney films and be like man they kind of at times you can see the copy and paste of some things so like for instance um oh were you talking like old school animation where they literally just recycle animation or like recycle backgrounds no 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 no. i meant like themes and like 
So, okay, let me be specific. So Quasimodo is walking up to his little village. And the first thing I think of is, I want to be where the people are. I was like, (laughs) it gives gives Little Mermaid. But then you also have Frollo where he's like, you're staying in this tower. Mother Gothel, you're not to leave Mm. this tower. You know, mm-hmm. you just yes. have, but I mean, that's, that's every film. Your, your adventurer has to start somewhere. They have to leave their comfort zone. It's true. We do so like themes of, in, of not, not entrapment, but we like themes of uh, being in confinement and breaking mm-hmm. free of one's chains. I mean, that's this whole film is like, you know, it, I mean, it really is like, so I, I feel like, okay, that's a different, that's a whole different, I was going on to a different <laughs> rant. It was about desire and stuff, but. I also want to say Quasimodo is definitely going to be in Across the Spider-Verse. He's obviously Notre Dame Spider-Man. <laughs> Wait, what? This man be crawling up walls of Notre Dame like he's Spider-Man. <laughs> you cannot tell me he's not going to be Across the Spider-Verse. He's going to be the cameo. Quasimodo. Oh, uh, okay. Um, what are you going to give me when you're wrong on your butt? <laughs> <laughs> I just had to write that. I said Quasimodo as Spider-Man probably going to be again across the Spider-Verse in my notes. Oh, man. I mean, he's already got tights on, so he's halfway there. It's true. Whoa. Sorry. Was going to start singing halfway there. Honestly, can we talk about the fact that you had a musical outburst before I did this episode? I think you're a liar. I'm pretty sure you had one really early in this episode. Nah, no way. Uh, I, was, I can't wait I to edit this. to improve. you. I sang to you, but I sang before we started recording. I'm going to be so upset if that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, sorry, not sorry. Oh, man, I could have oh, swore you sang at the beginning of this. I can't wait to edit this and find out. <laughs> <laughs> P.S. I went back and I listened to that, that Ratatouille comment, and I'm really mad at myself for missing the second T. Because I know that there's another T in that mm-hmm. in that word. Ratatouille. I was just so focused on the O O U I L L E that mm-hmm. I just completely deleted the middle of that word. And you I'm focused so mad at on the hardest part of the word, and that I am. Proud I of did. For. I did. I got distracted, and I I lost lost sight of the rest of the race just for the finish line. Uh, speaking of, we were talking about music. Speaking of Hellfire, I was looking at some of the the trivia on IMDb, and apparently Hellfire was so dark and is the darkest song ever written for a Disney film, it almost got cut from the movie. I would have been so upset. Sorry, let me rein it in. Me Don't want to clip my audio. Hellfire <laughs> is the greatest scene in Disney history, period. At me. Um, at, at Full me. Stop. Go ahead. Full stop. Um, it is they magnificent. To... They had to reanimate it because the the MPAA insisted that they reanimate it because Esmeralda's depiction seemed questionable. <laughs> Don't they still? Um, apparently she seemed nude the first time around and they said, nope, you're going to have to reanimate Put that. Put some fiery so clothing on top of her. Uh, yeah. Yep. That yeah. scene should make that film PG-13. Yeah. The Hellfire yeah. scene alone yeah. should make this film PG-13. It's it's spooky. I didn't want to watch it's it as a kid. It is thematic. It is it is dark. It is dark Disney's with, best scene. Yeah. They had they went all out. Oh, it's just it's it's terrifying, beautiful, stunning. I I mean, as an adult, every fantastic adjective. Yeah. It's like that Lady Gaga. Um, I don't think anyone's gonna know what I'm talking about. There's a Lady Gaga meme where she's just listing off adjectives. 
<laughs> nope, I'm sorry. Oh, man. I wish... Um, Is fine. it the one where she was a guest judge on American Idol? I don't know, but I'm going to find it. I'm going to send it to you. But um, Please do. That scene is the reason... I, I paused that scene when I rewatched it as an adult a few years ago. And I just... I walked away from my room for a moment. I just sat... <laughs> You're just like, I can't. I, I was like, well. this is so much. Like, my brain can't. Like, my brain had to rewire itself for a moment. Because I'm like, did Disney really do that? And I didn't remember I've... any of that? Right? Right. I was like, I mean, I remember this movie scaring me as a kid. But apparently this is why that scene is intense. Um, especially with all, like, the, the hooded figures rising oh, up yeah. on either side of them. Terrifying. Like, well, that's spooky. Giant so, fireplace, like, like in uh, the Haunted Mansion that drags everyone oh, to yeah. hell. So, for people who are, are not watching the film and are just listening to us, this is the part where Frello's like, okay, either I'm going to make Esmeralda mine or I'm going to kill her. And he's, like, he's coming mm-hmm. to this, he's trying to decide if he's going to, I mean, this man is already a bucket of sin, He's terrible. Yeah. But now he's trying to convince himself, okay, either I'm going to go full into sin or I'm going to uh, exterminate this sin. Come on, dude. Well, I'm trying to justify it to himself, too. He's like, no, 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 it's not sin. I'm in love with her. Right. No, no, We could be be a power couple together. (laughs) He's he's in lust with her. Because it's... Uh, Well, think about this. Esmeralda, to me, is like a symbol of desire. No, for, for Quasimodo, obviously he wants to love her, but she is kind of a representation of freedom as well. But for mm-hmm. Frollo, it's, it's you know, desire of the flesh. That's yes, what he sees The things in him. I can't have. And he wants to blame... He's obviously projecting all this onto her. He's projecting all of his inner filth, if you will. I don't know. All the horrible things on her. Like, yeah. I'm bad because they made me bad. I'm not actually bad. It's them. It's it. Well, he's also the corruption of power. Right. He oh. is the corruption oh, yeah. of power. And, and Disney made comment about this too, um, that they, they, you know, they recognized that he was the archdeacon in the book, but they changed him to a judge because they felt it would have made him more sinister to have control over the city and therefore like would not be questioned in his attempts to destroy the gypsies. Honestly, that was actually for two reasons. I can understand they changed it because I'm sure the Catholic church was like, no, absolutely not. You will not. Right. Like, well, we didn't do this. This is the work of fiction. (laughs) Right. We we don't want this smoke. (laughs) We already, right. We already have enough we're dealing with right now. Let's not add this. But honestly, changing him to a judge makes really great sense because it, we, doesn't you it talk though about, because it gives him power right it gives him power he burns the city because of this woman won't fall in love with him like come yes. on dude and they say women are emotional <laughs> this nope, man tried to burn down all of and paris they get salty about it <laughs> man tried to burn down all of paris and then gaslight everyone he's the ultimate you know, overlord if- of evil if he wasn't if he wasn't gross and old and creepy i'm sure that would have been romantic on some level like i would burn this city for you like oh Uh, that's that's you're 60 and gross Mm. yep yep um from a writing standpoint i do you kind of touched on it i definitely want to talk about like how the character of esmeralda represents something different Mm -hmm. for each of the the men that are in love with her and i do just want to stick with the movie because the pierre gringoire character i don't care about him um, sorry, Pierre. But sorry, Pierre. You have <laughs> a weird last name. You got to marry her, okay? You you're fine. Um, no, but I mean, like, so Frollo, he has all of this power over the city. Yet here's the one thing that, for all his power, he can't have, 
and is is forbidden from him. And so for for him, we we talked about Esmeralda represents it's it really like gross forbidden love and not allowed. Uh, but for Quasimodo, she does. She represents freedom. She represents the the love that he's missing in his life. The the parts of his life that he has missed out on being being closeted up in this tower his entire life and but then Phoebus is really interesting because for him Esmeralda and his love for her represents a major character shift because prior to this I mean he's the captain of the guard right um he has he had and he's recently been I I guess it's kind of implied that he's been deployed Mm -hmm. doing something um and has come back to be the captain of the guard and but he has been it kind of portrayed that he's been doing some not necessarily okay stuff in the name of the french government um definitely because we know that france was in turmoil during this time as is much of france's history um and so his character i think in realizing that he's supposed to be hunting down all of the gypsies but then falls in love with one because he realizes that they are people too in fact Mm -hmm. they in the movie they save his life so phoebus himself has a complete character shift that's centered around Esmeralda that realizes that he's been working for a corrupt regime mm-hmm. and he wants to change and and protect people for a good purpose now. Mm-hmm. Um, just this movie just deals with so many complex themes and I absolutely love it, especially like the political turmoil of trying to hunt down a, like an attempt genocide of an entire people that are the Romani gypsies. Mm-hmm. Like that is such an adult theme for a kids movie this is not a kids this movie. is not it's not like, a kids film no where is my live action hunchback of notre dame this where movie is it? was made for merchandising period <sighs> and to, <laughs> i'm disney like it's it's crazy how underrated this film I mean, is like disney put so much in this film and we all put it on the shelf it's terrible i, I it's terrible know. what I mean, we did I'm, to this film I want to argue with you that it was made for merchandising, but like I went as Esmeralda one year for Halloween, so I can't argue. Am I correct or am I correct? <laughs> I cannot. I who would you cast in this movie? If we were to make a live action one, who would you cast? Can we talk Ooh. about Zendaya as Esmeralda? <laughs> because I want to cast Zendaya just, in everything. Can we just put her in every film? Just let's be done can with it. Can we put it. her in She's everything? Perfect. Um, can we put her in everything? Can I have like a weird Tom Holland hunchback? No. <laughs> and just put t- Tom Holland and Zendaya together again? No. <laughs> no, that's not allowed. I nixed that idea. But Zendaya, yes. Nix that idea. Zendaya, yes. Who would we cast as... Man, who would be Frollo? I would want to cast... I mean, he's he has since passed away, but I would I would want to cast Sir Christopher Lee. As Frollo. Oh, no. No, 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 no. I'll do you one better. Oh, man. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Alan Rickman. T- tell me. Alan Rickman. Oh, my heart. He'd be perfect. You can't oh. tell me that voice of his would not scream malice. Why are all the best people... Why have all the best people left us? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. He would. We need perfect. a ray of sunshine for Quasimodo, though. Who's a ray of sunshine? Tom Holland. Who? <laughs> <laughs> I said Tom Holland again. Stop he's it. Just a ray he of is a ray of sunshine. He's a golden retriever boy. Let's be honest. <laughs> he's adorable. Man, I don't know who would play a good Quasimodo. If this had been 10 years prior, I would have said the actor that played um, Sam Gamgee in Lord Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Actually, why not now? 
who cares? No, I'm just kidding. It's a little too I mean, old. He's kind of aged out of it. He's kind of yeah. aged out of that role, yeah. unfortunately. Um, Maybe Phoebus. Hmm. Or Phoebe. What is his name again? Yeah, Captain Phoebus. Phoebus, okay. Um, I'm like, I'm trying real hard not to lean into Hercules' names. I'm I'm blanking on the act. Why am I blanking on the actor's name right now? Um, give me one second. I've got it. Um, why am I blanking on his name? This is embarrassing. What's he in? Um, my wow, my mind is blanking on absolutely everything. I need some. Uh, I need water. <laughs> you my, need a juice and a snack. Not, I <laughs> I need just a snack and a nap. Um, um. Oh my gosh, my <laughs> that's not it. I was like Mermaid Man. That's not the right Mermaid character. Man. Are you trying to? <laughs> no. I'm gonna let you come to the name if it's who I think it is. Oh, Aquaman. Yes, Aquaman. Why am I blanking on his name? Help me. You got this. Come on, you can do this. And this is not okay. Why am I? Why can I not remember his name? You can do uh, this. Jason Momoa. There you go. That's where it is. That's, Jason Momosa. That's who he is. I'm just kidding. I'm just yeah, kidding. my mom calls him Jason Momo. Momo. I'm like, that's not right. I want Jason Momoa to play Captain Phoebus. Oh, I don't know who would be a good Quasimodo, though. Who do you guys think would be a good Quasimodo? Text us. I, yeah, us please. Know. Tell me. Tell me who would be a good Quasimodo because it has to be like an absolute angel of a person. Mm-hmm. But oh, can I say Hayden Christensen? You can, but I will the not accept. Needs, the man Jimmy needs Fallon. some redemption no, in just film. Kidding. Oh, oh, what about? Hear me out. Okay. I know we've already had them matched up in a movie, but what about Zac Efron? Not. I could see it. Right? I'll accept. Slap some prosthetics on him. I'll accept it. I'll accept he can sing. He can sing. He's got he's got the voice for it. Mm-hmm. He's got the voice for it for sure. Oh, fun fact of people <laughs> I want to ruin everyone's life right now. Hold on. So oh, if you sorry, watched... I just have a really good casting of an alive person for Judge Claude Frollo. Uh I want to ruin everyone's moment real quick who love high school. Go ahead, please ruin, ruin ruin uh, Zach day. Efron did not sing for the first uh high school musical. Correct. He did not, he did not. which is ridiculous because the boy's got a beautiful voice. I say boy, he is a he man. He sang for but... all the ones after that, but before that, it was. Yes, he did. Um, hold on, I got his name right. It's it's my turn to you know not know what I'm talking about. Uh... Okay, this is a fair one to not be able to remember off the top of your head. I couldn't remember Jason Momoa. I called the man Mermaid Man. <laughs> Mermaid Man. You're right. <laughs> what is his name? I can see his face. Like... He did a movie with Selena Gomez. Mm... Really. It's called Another Cinderella Story, but he has a wonderful voice. It's, um, oh my gosh. Oh, I... that guy. That, that guy, guy with the dark hair. Um, I love that movie. I actually love that movie. It's got some great music in it. It is. Really? Uh, he sang for that? Yep. Drew Seeley. <gasps> he, he was a big component of Disney music for a while. I had no idea. That is so ridiculous. Like, why did he not get his own? He's he's cute. He's cute. I don't know. Why did he not get? That's weird. All right. Things I didn't know until today. I mean, I knew that Zac Efron did not sing for the first one. Mm-hmm. But I did not know that it was specifically Drew Seeley who did the voiceover for that. Interesting. Interesting bit of information. Um, Can we potentially cast Hugh Jackman as Judge Claude Frollo? I'll allow it. 
Right? I'll allow it. I could see him being evil. I don't really think he's been evil all that much. He he gets to be superheroes, but he's got an intensity to him that I feel like he could translate into a singing evil villain. Mm -hmm. I mean, he can sing. He can sing. The man can sing. We will do The Greatest Showman eventually. And I will sing a lot. I want to ask you, um, because I feel like we're coming to the end of this. Which stinks because I love this movie. But I want to ask you, favorite lines or favorite moments? Oh, boy. Favorite lines, favorite moments. Obviously, Hellfire is one of my favorite moments. I'm not going to. It is my favorite part of this film. It's my favorite Disney scene, period. It's wonderful. It's terrifying Um, and wonderful. Man. I mean, the. Okay, so I'll tell you. There is. So the opening song, which, by the way, I found out Alan Menken considers the opening credit song the best song he's ever written. And I'm <laughs> I like, mean, yes. yes. Again, At, best musical score, I, this film. This film. Um, so that being said, what is that song called? I'm, I'm looking it up right the now. The Bells of Notre Dame, is it not? Is it just The Bells of Notre Dame? I don't know if it had a special name I would to assume it, or, or whatever, it is. But, so that song is, um, no, you're right, it is. It is The Bells of Notre Dame. Um, that song plays in the opening, and then it also plays again in the close of the movie. Um, and, and Clopin is narrating a little bit right before it, and so then the, it plays, like, the very ending with all the choir and stuff in the background. I love that song mm-hmm. so, so, so much. It is my favorite song. Um, every time it comes up on my shuffle, I always crank it. Um, and sing all of the high, high-pitched high choral parts in the background. Um, but specifically, the uh, the movie version plays a little bit differently than the, than the version that is put on the final album. The final album meshes together the opening song and the closing snippet. That makes sense. And there is... And so to, he, but to hear it all smushed together in one cohesive song, it, it just really drives home just how beautiful that soundtrack is. And there is a phenomenal, like, rivals the note in Phantom of the Opera note that gets sung on the end of, uh, on, on the ending Notre Dame on the Dom. Mm-hmm. There is this beautiful high note. I think it's like an F sharp or something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And it is absolutely gorgeous, and the woman hits it so well. They literally have to like turn her down, so you can barely can't hear have it. that audio and clip. I, I challenge all of you to go listen to it and listen for this beautiful note that she hits at the end of the Bells of Notre Dame because this is my favorite part in the whole thing, and the fact that it ends the movie with this gorgeous, glorious high note it gives me chills every single time. Oh yeah, absolutely I, I mean, love it. The music in general just goosebumps instantly every single time because it's so beautiful and it's so ethereal and it just it moves you it literally you just you feel it Mm -hmm. i mean that's Mm -hmm. also the point of you know our religious you know music we have in churches and you know where however we all yeah Uh it's it's just so gorgeous it's so pretty it's so well he alan menken really really pulled in a lot of religious uh religious themes as far as like the music goes too there's lots of latin Mm -hmm. that he pulls in lots of traditional latin hymnal phrases like curie eleison Mm -hmm. he pulls in um like there's there's so much latin hellfire is all latin is it not yes um, yeah, I believe so. I believe there's just choral Latin chanting in the mm-hmm. background of that song. 
Um, oh, it's so good. Other than I his singing, about yeah. the music to this movie. Like, excuse me while I go, like, listen to, like, metal versions of this soundtrack while I work out. <laughs> what an That's interesting all... juxtaposition of sounds. I, I'm going to, well, I'm going to the gym after this and you know that I love, li- I love listening to metal music, but I also love Disney music. And so I have several metal covers of classic Disney songs. Mesh them. Please hit me up if any of you want any of them. <laughs> so that's, that's it. Let's go ahead and wrap for today. Okay. Um, that, that concludes today's episode. Um, I, I'm really proud of us. We condensed it into one episode and uh, not a sure travesty, what we're doing next week, but I think it is films. a miraculous feat. Well, that is a travesty that we had to condense these two particular films into just one episode, but we did it. So let us know if you want us to geek out more about them in the future, which we can totally do. Um, make sure to tune in next week. Uh, we are uh, we air our episodes at midnight on Friday. Um, so make sure to tune in for whatever movie we're doing next week. I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> You'll all be in suspense. You'll all be in suspense until it airs. Be funny if it's another animated film. <laughs> I'd think about it. I'm like, let's do Hercules. Let's do Atlanta's The Lost Empire. Don't tempt do me with a good week, time. So you never know. Cinematic Pulse is edited and produced by Cherie Jackson. The episodes and theme are written and performed by yours truly. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, and you can find Cinematic Pulse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Thank you so much for listening, because we just checked your Cinematic Pulse. Roll credits.